0: Brethren, and welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study. I just want to check and make sure that everything is working as it should. It looks like the sound is coming in uh, clearly from what I can see. Maybe somebody could just uh, pop a comment on uh, Facebook or YouTube and uh, I'll see it here um, in, in the application that I'm using here. Let's open with a word of prayer and then we'll get into the study for tonight. We're planning to cover Psalms 86 to 88 tonight. That will leave one more psalm in book three of the book of psalms and that's psalm 89 it's quite a lengthy psalm so god willing we will cover that in its entirety uh, next week that will close book three of the book of psalms i then want to as i normally do take a break cover another book in scripture and then we'll come back to book four of psalms we'll open with a word of prayer oh great thanks brother richard loud and clear we'll open with a word of prayer and then get into tonight's study Our our Heavenly Father, we are coming before you, as we always do, uh, with hearts of gratitude. It's just amazing, Father, that these words are thousands of years old, written by uh, wise people that you inspired. And here we are in this, what we believe is the modern world, but certainly the age uh, just shortly before the return of Christ. We're facing a lot of chaos in the world, Father. We're facing a blanket of darkness that is just spreading all over the world, increasing violence and unrest. And, and we can just have a solace, Father, in your word. We can take comfort in your word. Uh, more importantly, Father, we can gain wisdom and light from your word to navigate our path. So we thank you for this opportunity that we share together uh, to study your word. And we ask, Lord, that uh, you would just bless us, in our understanding. Give us wisdom, Father, and help us to walk in a way that is worthy of the vocation that we've been called to, that brings glory and praise to you and to Christ. And and help us, Father, to, to stand for Jesus and to walk in faith and walk by faith and not by sight. We praise you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for each other. And we ask this in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. So, uh, brethren, we are up to Psalm 86, as I mentioned. Um, so, Psalm 86. Now, with all of these, we're, I, I would like us to view this, all of these psalms, in the broader narrative of God and Israel. And and many of these psalms are individual prayers, but they're the prayers of an Israelite within the broader narrative of Israel and God. And so within the covenant of God and Israel, that's how even when we're dealing with an individual who's who's reaching out to God and praying to God, even though we are just dealing with that individual, we still want to think of it of that individual's relationship as part of the covenant community. Sometimes they're praying for the whole community, sometimes it's just the individual and God, but even when it's just the individual and God, it's still within the context of that broader relationship. So we're at um, Psalm 86. So let's begin with Psalm 86. This uh, is unusual in Book 3. It's a it's a prayer of David or a psalm of David. Um, book 2 was very heavy with, with David. Book 3 has been very heavy with Asif, and, and we're going to see with Korah. But here is a, a prayer of David. He says... Bow down your ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Uh, this is the man who would be king over Israel. And he acknowledges that he's poor and needy. And the poor here doesn't necessarily mean I'm, I'm, I have, you know, I'm in poverty, I'm impoverished physically, economically. It does mean in, in spirit. He's poor and needy. He, he acknowledges his, in his relationship with God his need for God. And, and when God was on earth, when Christ was on earth, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So God celebrates those who are poor in spirit. And we just finished, of course, uh, celebrating the Feast of Atonement, when all of us who are faithful to God through that fasting process, we become poor in spirit. We, we begin to acknowledge that, wow, without food and water, we're nothing. And, and that sort of haughty spirit that, that humans naturally have, through the fasting process, we begin to realize there's nothing to be haughty about. If God were to remove from us our sustenance, we would be in dire straits. So, so we learn to be dependent upon, upon God, and he looks for that those who are poor in spirit. Uh, Those are the ones that he says will inherit the kingdom of God. In verse 5 he says, in the the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So, you know, there are people, even among us, who are haughty in spirit, who who do rate themselves very highly, think very highly of themselves, and and want you to think very highly of them as well. God doesn't celebrate that spirit. Uh, God wants a spirit that just acknowledges we're nothing without god we're nothing and and then with god uh, we still see ourselves as nothing uh, because that's god anything that we're doing that's of note it's through god's inspiration through the power of his holy spirit this is what god is looking for so so he wants us to be poor in spirit he wants us to be meek and a lot of people are confused they think this is weakness this is incredible strength the christian who can overcome his human nature and overcome the influence of Satan, to not follow the course of this world and just be naturally um, uh, arrogant and haughty, but instead to be humble, to be meek, to, to you know, take it on the chin, uh, move on. Uh, this is tremendous power, tremendous spiritual power to, to live in this way. In Psalm 51, uh, this same man, David, who is poor in spirit, he says in his prayer in Psalm 51, Have mercy upon me, O God, According to your loving kindness, your chesed, complete dependence upon this covenant love that God has with Israel. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. So the complete dependence on God. is not It's not that I'm so righteous you have to forgive me. It's like I don't stand a chance. Except for the fact that you have covenant love for your people. And you are full of tender mercy. That's what I'm relying on. And in verse 9 he says, Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. So you see, from and we could read, we studied Psalm 51. You can go back in the archive, but you just see here a man who is completely dependent upon God's mercy. There's nothing in him where he feels entitled to life or to God's mercy. It's just totally uh, the, the the any any hope he has in life. Rest with God's cassette, with God's love. Back to Psalm 86. Preserve my soul, for I am holy. O you, my God, save your servant that trusts in you. Now, this almost sounds to be the opposite of what I just said. Hey, I'm holy. <laughs> Preserve my soul, O oh Lord, because I'm, I'm holy. Uh, holy means set apart. We have to acknowledge that we have been set apart by God for his purposes. And and that's the key to his prayer. That God, you've set me apart for your divine purpose. I, I, please preserve my soul so that I can fulfill this divine purpose that you have ordained for me. Save your servant that trusts in you. Uh, Daniel, when he prayed on behalf of Israel, he says, Oh my God, incline your ear, Daniel 9:18." and hear, open your eyes, and behold our desolations, and the city which is called by your name, the holy city, the city that's been set apart for divine use, the, the city which is called by your name, uh, for we do not present our supplications before you for our righteousness, but for your great mercies. You can see this sort of... Um, disposition that the true men of God have, where they understand God's mercy, they understand his loving kindness, and they also understand his purposes. And they can pray to him in accordance with his loving kindness and according to his purpose. So it's not God, I'm so great, you need to save me because I'm just such a special person. It's God, you have divine purposes, and you have recruited me into those divine purposes. And now look at our state. And, and, and Daniel, Daniel in particular here is praying about the state of Jerusalem, which he knows has been set aside for a divine purpose. So we see this same uh, thinking. Now, Daniel in here in 918, again, Daniel's praying at the macro level. And David in Psalm 86 is praying at the micro level. But the dynamics between God and David at the micro level are in the context of the macro level. In other words, the personal relationship that David has with God and the prayer that he's praying within that personal relationship, that relationship is taking place within the context of God's covenant with the nation of Israel. He says again, uh, Psalm 86, verse 3, Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto you daily. And Judah, Jerusalem, Judah, and in fact all of Jacob, is about to be plunged into a nightmare. I I don't know if we realize how fast this nightmare is coming. Hug your loved ones. Make sure they know you love them. Enjoy the fresh air. Enjoy whatever freedom We have right now. Because it's disappearing really fast. Globally. Really fast. And all of Jacob. Is about to be plunged into a nightmare. And we need to know how to pray. Through that nightmare. And again. So what David is going through. Is in the context of the overall relationship. God has with Israel. But he's here saying be merciful unto me. O Lord, for I cry unto you daily, and and that's the blessing of tribulation. Is we really turn to God, with our whole hearts, and David is in tribulation, he's turning to God with his whole heart, and he's crying unto God daily, and God commends that. God looks for that. He says in Luke's um, eighteen and verse five, uh, the, you know the story about the unjust judge, and this widow that the unjust judge doesn't have to answer to anybody. Yet because this widow troubles me I will avenge her lest her continually her continual coming lest by her continual coming she wearies me uh, and so God says listen to what the unjust judge says and God is not unjust and God is not forgetful and so when God's people his covenant people turn to him in deep heartfelt repentance and deep prayer and daily call out to him through tribulation he will respond he will avenge his people, and God's people don't have to take vengeance. And, and that's the next thing as well. Where you know, especially in uh, the United States and, and Canada by extension, because what happens there tends to happen up here, um, and, and even see it in the UK and, and around the free world. There's increasing violence, and eventually, you know, you get hit enough. People are starting to want to hit back, and I think in America. <laughs> In America, um, yeah, Americans, those that are listening, uh, you have your Second Amendment and the right to bear arms. And it looks to me, from what I can see, America's heading into a hot civil war. And I think, as Christians, with this election that's coming up, whichever way it goes, the outcome is going to be very, very ugly. But I think, Christians, we have to be careful. Uh, you have a right to defend yourself, obviously. Um, But we should not be going on the offense. We should not be taking vengeance into our own hands. And again, this whole Black Lives Matter movement that has poisoned the West. Uh, People are becoming very violent and wanting to take um, matters into their own hands and seek vengeance. God says, vengeance is mine. And so the poor in spirit, the meek, look to God for vengeance. We don't take it out ourselves. So... David prays to God daily. In verse 4, he says, Rejoice the soul of your servant, for unto you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Now, I'm not turning to any Balaam, any other God. I believe in you, and I'm going to lift up my soul to you. And therefore, I'm looking to you for the refreshing that I need. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive. So David understands God. And God wants us to understand him. He's good. He's ready to forgive. He he extends mercy to a thousand generations. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon you. So David understands this, that call upon him with a true and a sincere heart. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble... I will call upon you, for you will answer me. And again, this is micro. This is the individual, the individual relationship with God that we're having some visibility into, but it's taking place within a broader context of God's overall relationship with Israel. And and here's the thing about God's overall relationship with Israel. He's extremely angry. He is extremely disappointed. With the covenant community. His wrath is kindled against the covenant community. We better understand that. The covenant community has been a disaster. And God, He's not taking this lightly. He is going to punish the covenant community. The great tribulation, it's Satan's wrath, but it's God using Satan's wrath. He says the Assyrian is the rod of his anger, it's his anger. The Assyrian thinks that the Assyrians think he's doing his own thing. God is using the Assyrian to unleash his anger on the covenant community. So he says, David says, "In the day of his trouble." but Jacob is going into the day of trouble. In Jeremiah 30 and verse seven, Jeremiah says, "Alas, like he can't believe it. Alas, for that day is great. He's looking into the future. And he's seeing this day that he just has to say, like, wow, this is mind blowing. This disaster that I'm seeing in the future, Daniel saw it as well. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. There's no other day like this day that's coming. He says, Alas, that day is great, so that none is none is like it. It is even, or I would say it is especially, it is in particular. The time of Jacob's trouble. So, so why is God doing this? We see it in Deuteronomy 30. When Moses says, Okay, you're going to receive the blessings of the covenant, but then you're going to disobey. The curses of the covenant are going to be activated against you. You're going to suffer incredible trouble. All the curses of Deuteronomy are going to come upon you. You're going to be scattered into unknown lands. You're going to be savagely abused. And it is in that time when you are savagely abused that you will be driven to your knees and driven to true repentance. And God is loving and kind and he hasn't forgotten the covenant. He hasn't forgotten the promise that he's made to your forefathers. So when you stop being the hypocrite and you really get down on your knees and pray wholeheartedly to God and your heart truly turns to God, then God's wrath will be subsided. And he will turn to you in mercy. So that's the macro story. But within that macro story, we're talking about individual lives. Each person has to turn to God individually. He says, I will gather you, you know, one of a city, two of a family, and I will bring you back to Zion. He's not bringing the whole nation back to Zion. It's each individual that repents, the remnant that is true to him. They're the ones who are going to come back. So this time of Jacob's trouble, Is going to be the time of each individual within Jacob, within Judah and Israel, is going to be the time of their trouble. And they need to know how to pray, how to repent, how to acknowledge God and have a true relationship with their Messiah. It is especially, it is in particular, the time of Jacob's trouble. But he shall be saved out of it. Not if he refuses to repent. He's going to be saved out of it because the the tribulation is going to drive Jacob into true repentance. And it is when Jacob realizes there is no help but God and unto God do they lift their soul. It is then that he will act on their behalf. Psalm 86 verse 8. Among the gods there is none like unto you. This is the realization that, that Jacob must come to. All the money, all the military power, all the false gods, none of it. All the governments, none of them. And they are gods, they're all gods. But there is no God like the God of Israel. And this is what Israel needs to, to realize. Stop playing the fool and begin to realize this is the true God. And this is the only true God. Among the gods there is none like unto you, O Lord, neither are there any works like unto your works. Amen. Then David says, again, he's reflecting on this relationship with God and the true God, and he says, all nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you. That, that is an amazing statement. We, we just came out of the Feast of Tabernacles, celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, and it pictures this time. When all nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you. You look at the nations today, they don't care about the God of Israel. They worship all kinds of false gods or no gods or they try to make the government God. And yet we're, going, we're heading into a time in the near future when the whole world, every nation will know the God of Israel. So David declares that unequivocally. unequivocally. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. And again, in Matthew 24, I've repeated this many times, God says that his people will suffer persecution. We will be hated because of his namesake. So there's something in the end time and in the preaching of the gospel in the end time that revolves around the knowledge of God's name. And the nations will hate it But eventually they will be driven to repentance and they shall glorify the name of God, the true name. And now in Isaiah, when we studied this, when we studied uh, uh, second Isaiah, but Isaiah could also see this time when the nations gather and try to destroy Judah. But then God acts mightily on behalf of Judah to rescue Judah and by extension all Israel. And then the nations have to acknowledge that everything that they were doing, all of their plans and devices were wrong, and that God, in fact, is the God of Judah and the God of Israel. And, and Isaiah was looking ahead and seeing this, and he says, for, for behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. So there's going to be a time of incredible darkness that's going to cover the earth and cover the people. But, and have the opposite, the Lord shall arise upon you. And when this time of great darkness and the sun no longer gives us light and the stars don't give their light and then God is going to appear and he's going to appear over Judah to rescue Judah. Gross darkness shall cover the people but the Lord shall arise upon you and his glory shall be seen upon you. And the Gentiles the very same thing that David saw. The nations and the nations shall come to your light. They're going to come to, to Judah. They're going to come to Jerusalem, the light that's in Jerusalem. The nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. And this kind of puts us in mind of Romans 11, where Paul asks the question that if the, if the stumbling of, uh, of Israel is, is, is you know, the salvation of the Gentiles... What will their rising be? What will their life be? What will their salvation mean to the world? Well, here we're beginning to get a glimpse of it. That when God acts on behalf of Judah and lifts them up in their rising, the brightness of their rising, it's going to be a blessing to the whole earth. For you are great, and you do wondrous things. You are God alone. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. And, you know, we cannot walk in God's truth if we are loose with truth. We, we don't care about truth. You know, if somebody puts facts in front of us, and we look at the facts, and we don't care. Well, that's not my truth. You know, we used to talk about the truth. Now we talk, you've got to speak your truth, and I'll speak my truth. And, and even Christians now are beginning to play loose with truth. If we are loose with truth, if we're unfaithful in a little, how can God trust us to be faithful in a lot? We need to be people of truth. That's, that's sort of the acid test here. How do you respond to truth? Because if you're loose with truth, God doesn't want you. There will be no room for falsehood in the future. So we have to root falseness out of us. Everything we speak, what we listen to, what we care about, it must all revolve around truth. That's why we do these studies, because we love truth. The truth, period. If it's true, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, conform myself to truth. Not my truth. The truth. Truth. And it starts with a little. If we're unfaithful in the small things, we don't care about truth in the small things, why would we care about truth in the big things? And why would God trust us with big truths to teach to others when clearly we don't care about any truth? He says, teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. That's a man that he he loves God's truth. Like, I just need to know what the truth is. I'm going to walk in that, regardless of the cost or the consequences. Unite my heart to fear your name. There it is again, God's name. Just unite my heart. What a beautiful statement. Unite my heart to fear your name. And I just respond to truth. And I don't care what the consequences are. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. That's it. There it is. That's what um, Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 30. This is what God is looking for, and and we're getting a glimpse of it through David. But, But this is what God wants in all Israel. That they will praise God with all of their heart. And we have to lead the way. We, we are we have the holy spirit now to conform us to christ and this is what god is this is exactly what god is looking for and the great tribulation is designed as painful and tragic and as nightmarish as it is it has a purpose and and verse 12 we're going to see this in all individuals all around the world who acknowledge god and 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 praise him and turn to him with all their heart And that's when the tribulation stops. And that's when God will act mightily on behalf of his people. We have to understand these things so we can teach it and teach the gospel with with conviction, with power and strength. You know, if we're all um, wishy-washy and we don't understand what we're doing or what we're saying, how will anybody repent? But if we are really clear and we understand and as this darkness spreads over the earth and this chaos spreads over the earth, we can actually speak light into the earth because we understand from the ancient words, words from thousands of years ago, we can, we can speak those ancient words into the darkness and shed some light and lead, lead God's people, his covenant DNA people of, of Judah and Israel, to repentance and invite all the Gentiles to the repentance. But it's going to be harder for the Gentiles in the future because power is a drug. Power is a very addictive drug. And in the times of the Gentiles, they're going to have incredible power. And the the, the temptation is to side with that power. But nothing is more powerful than the word of God. And God's people need to be ready to speak this into the darkness with conviction, regardless of the consequences. Because our heart is united with God's name. And it's united with the fear of his name and his truth. He says here, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my, you know, when you're praising God with all your heart, you don't care what people think. You don't care what the consequences are. You better not say that name of the God of Israel here. We don't want to hear that. Oh, well, the God of Israel is the true God. You do your worst. I'm here to tell you the truth. I will praise you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart. And I will glorify your name forevermore. And, and, and you know, John saw this. He saw those that were praising God with all their heart and he saw them beheaded. And then he was scratching his head and he said, I just saw these people beheaded. And I'm seeing the same people, the same faces. And now they're sitting on thrones and they're ruling with Jesus Christ and they're glorifying his name forever. This is the conviction and the understanding that we have to have. The the, the intimidation is it's growing. Satan is. Is desperate. The, the 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 quest for power. They, he has a short time, so the intimidation is intensifying, and any kind of protection that Christianity has enjoyed over the last two thousand years, it's all disappearing. And and it's gonna be there's gonna be no place. All who desire to live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. So we better know what we're involved in. And we we, we should have this heart and be an example. There's a saying that that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Uh, I I think every true Christian needs to be thinking about martyrdom. Needs to be taking the words of the Lord very seriously. and, And prepared that our dying statement will be, the Lord God of Israel reigns. And the next time you see us, we're sitting on thrones reigning with him and glorifying his name and we can get there if we have what david has oh i will praise you O lord my god with all my heart there's no double-mindedness here and i will glorify your name forevermore for great is your mercy toward me and you have delivered my soul from the lowest hell Oh God, and, and so again, you know, this is you know the hero's journey and I've spoken about storytelling before but this is what's called sort of the, the, the darkest moment of the soul in, in this journey where they go into this pit of misery and it's the, the, the lowest hell. This is where David is. It's like it can't get any worse than this and then God reaches in and helps. Well, this is the micro but this is going to happen on a macro level as well. The nations of Israel are destined to the lowest hell. No matter how glorious and how powerful they are now, it's all being stripped away. And there's going to be tens of millions and even perhaps billions of people who are going to be plunged into the lowest hell. And the only hope, there is no other hope, is the God of Israel. And somebody has to have access to these ancient words. Somebody has to have understanding of the ancient text And to speak it into them. To speak it into their lives. To give them that ray of hope in the darkest place. To say you need to turn to God. You need to acknowledge that all the blessings that you have enjoyed. Have come from the God of Israel. And from the covenant that God has with Israel. And you have abused your privileged position. And now you need to turn to God with repentance. And he's merciful. He is rich in forgiveness. And he will redeem your soul from the lowest hell. And that's the whole purpose of the tribulation. Oh God, the proud are risen against me. Again, he, you know, David is poor in spirit. He's meek. True followers of Christ are poor in spirit and meek. That doesn't mean we're weak. In fact, we're very powerful. But the opposite are Satan's followers. They are proud in spirit. They love power. They lust for power. They, they, they lust for that control. These are the followers of Satan. And he says, Oh God, the proud are risen against me. And the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul. And if you're looking at what's happening in America south of the border, uh, this spirit is spreading throughout America. And, and because of America's position in the world, um, once America goes down, this spirit will cover the whole earth. And anybody who desires to live godly in Christ is going to face assemblies of violent men. How dare you praise Jesus Christ? How dare you call on the God of Israel? And again, these folks uh, who are running after Black Lives Matter, they're the first ones to hate Christ. And any Christians who have been running after Black Lives Matter, you know, the way God operates, He gives us what we want. You want to serve Baal? Serve Baal. You you, you want um, sexual debauchery? Have it. You want idolatry? It's all yours. That's how God functions. That's how he operates. You you don't want me in your life? I'm out. God gives us what we want. what's, What's the desire of your heart? You can have it. That's how God operates. And all these black Christians who've been running after Black Lives Matter, you're going to get it. I hope it works out for you. I don't think it will, but there's always that opportunity to repent and to stop worshiping idols and to put God first and to put God's people ahead of anybody else. Because you, we, we pray for all men, but especially those of the household of God. Oh, God, the proud are risen against me. You can hear the desperation and assemblies. The assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul. They are serious. They want to remove him from the earth. They are full of hatred. And they have not set you before them. They have nothing to do with you. They are servants of the devil. And again, this is micro, but it's going to happen on a macro level. Ezekiel says, in Ezekiel 35 verse 5, Because you have, speaking of Edom, you have had a perpetual hatred. This is in your DNA. It goes back thousands of years, and it's never been removed. You have had a perpetual hatred. And you have shed the blood of the children of Israel by the force of the sword in the time of their calamity. So when this calamity comes and there is weakness in Israel, throughout Israel, all over the world, that's the upper hand for the Gentiles. And the Gentile nations are going to have no mercy. And that in, in the time of their calamity, you went after them with your sword in the time that their iniquity had an end. So the tribulation is there to bring their iniquities, to purify Israel and to bring the iniquity of Israel to an end. But Edom sees it as an opportunity. The Assyrian sees it as an opportunity. The Ishmaelite sees, sees it as an opportunity. And anybody who wants to name the name of Christ or have anything to do with uh, Judeo-Christian principles is going to suffer intense persecution. And, and we'll see what a big joke Black Lives Matter is then. We'll see how much Black Lives Matter at this point if you dare name the name of Christ. In, in Luke 21 verse 20, Christ says, when you shall see Jerusalem surrounded with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is near. So assemblies of wicked men are going to surround God's people. Jerusalem is the epicenter. It starts in Jerusalem, but from there, it's going to spread all over the world. And anybody who names the name of Christ shall suffer persecution. This is a fascinating time to be alive. This is not a time to be fearful. God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us a spirit of love and of boldness and of a sound mind. And that sound mindedness comes from the scriptures. The scriptures inform us how to think in a godly way. And the boldness comes from the scriptures and the love comes from the scriptures. Everything, the the scriptures are everything to us. That's what feeds our mind and feeds our perspectives. And this is a fascinating time to be alive. I think that the prophets of old would have given anything to be alive in our time. But we've gotten so soft and comfortable and, and, and used to and, 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 and uh, um, uh, we, we've, we were accommodating with comfort. We're very used to it. And so when comfort starts taking, being taken away from us, we don't know what to do. Everything is push button in our lives and we take it all for granted. But when it's all taken away, then we have to realize what's real here. So this spirit of persecution, Jerusalem is the epicenter. That's where Satan's hatred is going to be unleashed, undiluted. But it's going to then spread all over the world. So David is saying here that these um, proud are risen against him and assemblies of violent men are seeking after his soul. That's the future. That's the future. And it's going to happen on a macro level. And we have to see that insight from David's relationship with God, how every godly person should engage with the God of Israel during this time of intense tribulation. But you, so this is them, they're full of hatred, they're full of violence, but you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion, David understands, and gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. And this is the understanding that we need to bring to Israel all over the world, and especially Judah. This is the true nature of God. His wrath is there, but his wrath is there because of his love because of, because of the covenant that he, he he's a god of his word and ultimately everything that he does is designed to bring to bring God's people success oh turn unto me and have mercy upon me give your give your strength unto your servant so he's poor in spirit but he realizes where true strength comes from and so he can be very mighty and very valiant for God despite the fact that he's poor in spirit. The same with us. We might be meek. We might be poor in spirit. But in this time of crisis, we can rise up. We can stand up. We can be valiant for God because not by strength nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so if we are filled and imbued with this power of the Holy Spirit, uh, <laughs> That's where our strength comes from. Give your strength unto your servant and save the son of your handmaid. Show me a token for good. Give, give, give me some encouragement here, God. Show me a token for good that they which hate me may see it. They're surrounding me. They think they have the upper hand. They think everything's going in their favor. God, please, show me a token for good that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed. Because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Again, this is the micro level, the individual relationship with God, but it's in context of the macro as well. And so through this tribulation, God is going to show Israel, and specifically Judah, a token for good. And he says that. He said that in Matthew 24 that in the time of this great tribulation, this great peril, Judah's lives will be imperiled so that no flesh would be saved. And when it's at that point, at the darkest hour of the soul, when they turn to God and they realize they have no help except God, and all, they're surrounded by people who hate them, God says, and then a token will appear. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. That's when you'll see. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. What did David say? Let's read his words again. Show me a token for good, that they which hate me may see it. So Judah is going to say the exact same prayer. Oh God, help us, show us something that these people can see they're wrong. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. All of them that hate Judah. When Christ returns, it's not a happy day. It's a very, very terrible day for them. All the tribes of the earth shall mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory to show himself mighty in the cause of Judah. To show himself mighty in the cause of Israel. Not the Gentiles. The day of the Gentiles is now over. And then, uh, Luke 21 verse 27, and then then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. We'll see how much black lives matter then. And that whole movement, which is right out of the mind of the devil with all of his seduction and all these other movements and all these quests for power. We'll see how much they matter then. God is coming to shed a lot of blood. He's coming to shed a lot of blood. His 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 garments, his holy garments are going to be splattered around full of men's blood. That's Jesus Christ. And that wrath is going to be unleashed on the tribes of the earth to show himself mighty on the behalf of Judah and Israel. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass. When you see these tokens. Show me a token Lord that I know then let them see. But when you see these things come to pass. Then look up and lift up your heads. For your redemption draws near. So we have to be very very familiar with what God, the tokens that God has given us. So that we can see that ultimately when the token that the tribes of the earth will see, that they are wrong and that God loves Israel forever. And then he goes on to say, he gave gave them the parable of the fig tree, which is again that we should know these tokens. We should know what we're looking for. We should know the signs. And it's in the darkest hour that the people of God should have the greatest hope. Because everybody else is just looking at the darkness But we're looking at the darkness and comparing it to the scriptures. And we're looking at our prophecy watch and we're saying, wow, this is right on time. The return of Jesus Christ, like God is coming to the earth. Maybe in our lifetimes, maybe we will live to see this. But even if we die, even if we're martyred, we will be brought back to life. And he's coming real, real soon. So in the darkest hour, there needs to be somebody on the earth that has the greatest hope and can speak light into the darkness. We need to know our scriptures. So that was Psalm 86 and again I just love how that one ended uh, with, with David praising God and, and begging him to show a, a sign for good so that those who hate him can see that they're wrong and that's a, at a macro level that's exactly the pattern that we're going to see. Psalm 87 now so that was the Psalm of David. Psalm 87 is a Psalm for of the sons of Korah. This is a psalm that celebrates Zion. It celebrates Jerusalem. This is a wonderful celebration of Jerusalem. He says, His foundation is in the holy mountains. So there are mountains. Here in Canada we have beautiful mountains. In America they have beautiful mountains. A lot of mountains all over. A lot of skiing. Beautiful mountains all over the world. But his foundation, it's in the holy mountains mountains that have been set apart for God. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. And Jacob has a lot of dwellings. And I think, uh, you know, we hear it all the time, but there are many people that want to argue that there's no way that America is Israel. (laughs) I mean, just a, a, a cursory view of history to see how this nation has been extraordinarily blessed. And the nation of Great Britain before her, the extraordinary, unprecedented blessing, it's like it's off the charts. There's no nation that's been blessed like this. And to say, like, this is just human ingenuity, it's just these people are just really, really smart and really talented, to, to, to have this level of unprecedented blessing. But to, there are many um, dwellings of, of Jacob, and they're all beautiful. But the Lord he loves the gates of Zion more than all of them. And and if we have any if we have the proper understanding, we will love the gates of Zion more than anything else, and we'll be watching over the gates of Zion more than any other place on earth. And we'll understand that the whole prophetic movement from here to Christ's return revolves around the gates of Zion. We'll be very, very focused on the Middle East. Whereas I think a lot of Americans, especially American Christians, are very focused on America. Because America is just so great. That that the whole world, the Bible now becomes a book about America. Well, Psalm 87 verse 2. Jesus Christ loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. And we have a song that we sing often. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. In other words, (laughs) there is no city on the earth, not one. Think of all the cities of the earth. There is no city of the earth that will be praised like Jerusalem. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. Selah. Let's dwell on that. If Jerusalem is not the center of our attention, something is spiritually broken. If Jerusalem is not our focus, what did David said? David say, he said, You know, let my right hand forget her skill. And and let my tongue cleave to the roof of its mouth if I forget Jerusalem. Like God forbid, David says, that I should forget Jerusalem. And yet many of us who say we're very, very close to God, we don't even give a thought to Jerusalem. We never pray about Jerusalem. We don't care what happens to Jerusalem. God loves Jerusalem more than any other city. And glorious things are prophesied for Jerusalem. And we should dwell on that. Joel says in, in chapter 2, verse 32, And it shall come to pass, this will happen, that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. So there's going to be great tribulation. Somebody's declaring the true gospel. People are beginning to repent. They're going to call on the name of the Lord. They will be delivered at this time if they turn to him in truth, Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be the deliverance. Not in London, England, not in New York, not in Brisbane, not in Toronto, not in any of these great cities. In Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance. And we have to understand this. As the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So God is going to call this remnant, he's going to pour his spirit out upon them. But the reason he can do that is somebody has been preaching the gospel to them so they can come to this realization, they can come to this repentance, but God is returning to Jerusalem. And the spiritual headquarters of the earth will be in Jerusalem. And we've got to begin to orient our minds toward Jerusalem and the city of God. He says in verse 4, I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon, To them that know me. Behold, Philistia, Tyre, with Ethiopia, this man was born there. So, of all these great cities of the earth, and now these are the Gentile cities, they're going to be spoken to and preached to about Jerusalem and how the glory of Jerusalem will dwarf these great cities, and the glory of these great cities will be dwarfed by the glory of Israel. And the fact that somebody can say, I was born in Jerusalem. This will be a great phenomenon. This will be something to be really like, wow, this man was born there. In Isaiah 19, verse 23, and some of the commentaries say that um, Rahab represents Egypt. So, Egypt and Babylon, these sort of centers of sin in the world, gl- glorious centers, but sin nonetheless. And all of these nations are hostile nations to Judah, to Jerusalem. Ultimately, they will, become under, they will come under the tutelage of Jerusalem and they'll be taught the power and the glory of Jerusalem and Zion. In Isaiah, similar prophecy from Isaiah, in that day shall there be a highway out of Egypt to Assyria and the Assyrian shall come into Egypt. So historically, Assyria was the king of the north, Egypt was the king of the south. So this conflict, this great conflict that they both have over Jerusalem, trying to take over Jerusalem, uh, now Jerusalem shall emerge and, and be the glorious city. And Egypt, all the Egyptians shall flow to Jerusalem. All the Assyrians who persecuted Jerusalem, they will flow to Jerusalem. In that day, there shall be a highway out of Egypt to Assyria. And the Assyrians shall come into Egypt. So now there's, there's, this, well, there's this harmony now. This conflict is fully resolved. And now the Assyrians can come to Egypt Egyptians can go to Assyria and the Egyptian into Assyria and the Egyptians shall serve with the Assyrians. And during the Feast of Tabernacles, they'll come to Jerusalem. This, this is amazing. This is the future. And Satan must be just like, there's nothing he can do. All he can do is try to take out as many human beings as he can, take out as many Christians as he can. That's the only satisfaction he has because it's written and he knows better than anybody else. God doesn't joke. When God speaks, that's it. So this is going to happen. But before it happens, there's going to be a lot of turmoil and a lot of um, slaughter between the king of the north and the king of the south and Jerusalem caught in the middle. 87 verse 5. And of Zion it shall be said, This and that man was born in her. This is is like, wow. People like, you were really born in Zion? Wow. That's the glory. Right now, Christ says, Jerusalem will be surrounded by armies. And, and every Jew that they can find, Like if you're, if you're a Jew in Jerusalem in the near future, there's going to be a time you have to run for your life. And if you're pregnant, oh well, you do your best. Because these people are so full of hatred. Assemblies of violent men. But yet, shortly after that, to say you're a Jew, that you were actually born in Jerusalem, that's going to be incredible praise and honor. And of Zion it shall be said, this and that man was born in her. And the highest himself shall establish her. This is the city that every covenant member, every member of the covenant community, every one of us should be focused on this. This, this is the, the passion of God. This is, this is his zeal is to establish Zion. This is where our zeal needs to be as well. The Lord shall count when he writes up the people that this man was born there. So even God is going to acknowledge, okay, this man was born in Zion. And, and there's going to be a special honor in the earth for those that are born in Zion. Selah. As well, the singers as the players on instruments shall be there. All my springs are in use. So there's going to be great celebration. Great glory. God has great plans in mind for Jerusalem. And, and of course, we know the New Jerusalem will ultimately come down and replace Jerusalem. But before the New Jerusalem comes down, you know, in Revelation 21, we have this um, uh, vision of the New Jerusalem coming down. That's after the millennium. Before that, during the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ, Jerusalem shall be established. As the spiritual center of the earth, and and people will be traveling to and fro, and and men will leave Jerusalem and go out to, to the. And people gonna say, "Wow, that man was born there," and then others are gonna see a Jew and say, "Oh, you're a Jew. Uh, take us to Jerusalem with you." The Jew, the Jew is gonna have high honor. Those of the tribe of Judah will have the highest honor in the earth, over all the other tribes. And Zion will have the highest honor over all the other cities of of the dwelling places of Jacob. And the singers, all this celebration, the singers as well as the players of instruments shall be there. All my springs are in you. So that is Psalm 87, a wonderful celebration of the future. Um, There's going to be trouble. (laughs) We know there's going to be a time of great trouble. But we can now have this uh, line of sight into the future when Jerusalem is established. And I hope, brethren, that all of us who are spirit-filled praise Jerusalem. We long for Jerusalem. Our heart's desire is to see Jerusalem established in the earth. And that we're watching Jerusalem now, understanding that God's focal point is Jerusalem. And in the same way we see the fig tree, the the leaves on the fig tree in, in, in the spring, we know that summer is near. When we start seeing things happening around Jerusalem, that's what we're looking for. And we mustn't get distracted. Psalm 88 um, psalm 88 and 89 go, to, go together, but 89 is such a long psalm, so I want to just um, deal with Psalm 89 by itself. Um, psalm, psalm 88 is a bit of a tough, uh, difficult psalm, but let's, uh, let's go ahead and read through it. A psalm, a song or psalm for the sons of Korah, to the chief musician, upon Mahalath Leonoth, Maskil of Heman the Ezraite. So a maskil is a, a, a wisdom teaching. So this is a wisdom teaching of Heman, the or Heman, the Ezraite. He is actually mentioned several times in the Scripture. But let's um, let's look at 1 Kings 4 and verse 30, speaking of the wisdom of Solomon. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the East country. And all the wisdom of Egypt, like this is amazing. This man was on the earth and there was a lot of wisdom in the earth. And people knew who, where the wisdom was and all you know where to go for this wisdom. But Solomon's wisdom excelled all of it. For he was wiser than all men. Now he starts to mention the men that Solomon was wiser than. He was wiser than Ethan the Ezraite and Heman and Chakol and Darda the sons of Mahal. And his fame was in all nations round about. So the fact that Heman is mentioned as sort of a benchmark to say that Solomon was actually wiser than him. You know, Solomon's this young man that grew up and then his wisdom just excelled. So in the whole time he was growing up, uh, Heman's reputation would have been known as an extremely wise man. So this is the, uh, the benefit of his wisdom we're now having in this Psalm 88. So he says... O Lord God of my salvation, I have cried day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear unto my cry so you can see the persistence of God's people when they're in trouble. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near unto the grave. So again, there's this macro relationship that God has with his people. And his wrath is going to descend upon his people. And there's going to be a lot of death, a lot of suffering upon the physical descendants of Jacob, and specifically Judah. And each of these people are individuals. And, and they need to be driven into this repentant relationship with God. If you look at the Jews today, for all their Torah reading, and all their teaching of the Torah to their children, daily, it's done nothing but make them arrogant against Jesus Christ. Arrogant against him. And if you listen to their eschatology, it's like, we're, we're the wonderful people, and uh, God is going to come to earth and do a lot of bad things, but not to us, because we're the wonderful people. That spirit of arrogance, and self-centeredness, and entitlement it needs to be punished. It needs to be corrected. And that's what the Great Tribulation is for. These, these covenant people who have this sense of we're just so special. Uh, God is not happy because that we're so special and all their, hey, we have the Torah, has caused them to absolutely reject Jesus Christ. Their only hope. And so there's a tremendous amount of punishment, intense punishment that's required to finally get these people to a state where they can say, Please forgive me, Lord, I have no hope but you. And so that's what's happening in the earth today, and we need to understand it and be able to narrate what's happening and, and tell people why. Let my prayer come be, so on an individual basis, there has to be this turning, there has to be this repentance. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear unto my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near unto the grave. I am counted with them that go down into the pit. So, you know, you can actually, I can actually envision when I was a small boy, my father had the news on a documentary. And that's the first time I saw all these naked bodies in Germany being thrown into the pit. I didn't even understand what I was looking at, but I, I remember my father was very fascinated watching it. And it was like, it was on for a long time. And then when I grew up and got older and came to understand what it was, I didn't realize how recently all of this had happened. Right? I was born in the 60s. This just happened like 30 years earlier. I had no idea. I thought it was something that happened anciently. I, didn't, I had no idea. It wasn't until I got older and I started to do the math, and I thought, this, like, this just happened yesterday. And yet here it is about to happen again. We've, we've forgotten. We, said we, we will never forget. You know, every, We will never forget. Lest we forget. And yet we've forgotten. So it's going to happen again. I am counted with them that go down into the pit. Again, this is the, this happening at the macro level, but these are individual lives. I am as a man that has no strength. Well, if you have no food, you have nothing. Uh, yeah. Free among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and they are cut off from your hand. And that's certainly the you know, Holocaust. That's exactly their, their experience. They felt that they were cut off from God's hand. You have laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the deeps. Your wrath lies hard upon me. This is the only explanation. God must be very, how has this happened to us? His wrath is upon us. And this is the realization they have to come, come to. Your wrath lies hard upon me. And you have afflicted me with all your ways. So all of this trouble coming from the Gentiles, it's actually not from the Assyrian. The Assyrian is the rod of his anger. And they need to come to this understanding. Somebody needs to lead them to this understanding that all of this has happened because you have violated the covenant. All of this has happened because you have rejected your only hope. And this is God's wrath. Reread the covenant. Let's, tell me what you're experiencing and I'll flip through the, the Torah and I'll show you why. I'll tell you it line and verse. Exactly why this is happening to you. Your wrath lies hard upon me. And you have afflicted me with all your waves. Sila, Another point of meditation. You have put away my acquaintance far from me. So all of these loving relationships that these people have enjoyed in their families. This time of crisis. That's over. You have put away my acquaintance far from me. You have made me an abomination unto them. I am shut up. And I cannot come forth, and you know, I don't know what to make of this. But we know that Christ says that brother will betray brother, and so a brother is going to look at a brother who they were acquaintances, they were together in the in the in the synagogue together, in in the, in the church together, and now one hates the other, and one sees the other as an abomination, and so this is he's on the receiving end of this. You have made me an abomination unto them. I am shut up, and I cannot come forth. And so, you know kind of like in america right now that people could be you know great friends family and all you have to say is you know i think i might vote for donald trump in this election (laughs) you you have become an abomination they will hate you they will kill you for that Uh, and so you can just get a sense of how quickly sentiments can change just by seeing what's happening uh in america Uh, but for for us in the time it's going to be around christ that when we say no, we believe no, we we believe and know that Jesus Christ is God. He's the Son of God, He is God, He's returning to rule as God on the earth. We will not back down from that. That is gonna make us an abomination. Because all the all the world religions are gonna be combined and you know, we can all agree, you know, let's just back off on the Jesus Christ thing. You know, at least we can all acknowledge he's a prophet. But let's not go any further than that. No, we're going further than that. Jesus Christ is God. And if that makes us an abomination, oh well. But this is what this person is saying here. You've put away my acquaintance far from me. So something has happened to alienate us. You have made me an abomination unto them. So think of the Jew who repents and says, no, Jesus Christ is God. To the rest of the Jews who who are studying the Talmud, that is like the word. You've become an abomination. I am shut up and I cannot come forth so somebody's preaching the gospel and converting these people but as they convert they become an abomination to their friends and neighbors and family My eye mourns by reason of affliction Lord I have called daily upon you daily don't give up keep calling be remember what the unjust judge said I have stretched out my hands unto you will you show wonders to the dead Shall the dead arise and praise you? So, this is somebody who's on death's door. He's got one foot in the grave. And he's saying, Come on, God. You know, I I know you. I'm willing to praise you. If I die, what good is that? Will you show wonders to the dead? Look at all the people in the world that have no idea who you are. I know who you are. And I will praise you with my whole heart. And now I'm heading into the grave. Will you show your wonders to the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you? Selah. Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave? Or your faithfulness in destruction? So there's something in this prayer with God from a human being that it's it's kind of challenging God in a way. But the challenge is really around the understanding. It's around the wisdom, the deep understanding of God being in covenant with Israel. And the purpose of Israel to be a light to the world. But if here, if if these people were were to be a light to the world, if we're all heading into the grave, well, how's this going to work, God? Jerusalem is your holy city. We're your holy people. The world is in darkness. We know who you are. I know who you are. And now I'm heading to the grave. And I'm calling on you daily. Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave or your faithfulness in destruction? Shall your wonders be known in the dark? And your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But unto thee have I cried, O Lord, and in the morning shall my prayer prevent you. So, first thing in the morning, before you go about anything, you're going to hear from me Lord, why cast you off my soul? There's this real sense of confusion. I've repented, I've turned to you, I acknowledge you, I'm ready to praise you, and yet I'm being thrown in the pit with everybody else. Why cast you off my soul? Why hide you your face from me? Again, we're heading into this time of great tribulation and the people need to understand why. And then they need to know how to pray through it. I am afflicted and ready to die from my youth up. While I suffer your terrors, I am distracted. Your fierce wrath goes over me. This is the maskeel. This is the understanding. This is not the Assyrian. This is the rod of God's anger. Your fierce wrath goes over me. Your terrors have cut me off. They came round about me daily like water. They surrounded me about together. Lover and friend have you put far from me and mine acquaintance into darkness. So think of the pain of the isolation here. Even his own lover and friend are put far from him. He's totally on his own. He's heading to the grave. Uh, This is what the psalmist, the conclusion of the psalmist here. It's a time of terrible tribulation. And this puts us in mind of the prophecy in Micah uh, that Christ himself quoted, uh, speaking of the end time, when Micah 7 verse 5 says, Trust you not in a friend. Put you not confidence in a guide. Keep the doors of your mouth from her that lies in your bosom. For the son dishonors the father. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. So this time of crisis is so extreme that even family members will turn on each other. This is why we need the Holy Spirit. We need to be with our brethren in our communities, really strengthening each other in the Spirit because there always is a faithful remnant, always. There needs to be this faithful remnant through the tribulation, preaching the gospel. Therefore, I will look unto the Lord, says Micah. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. And I thought this is a more positive note to end on, that God will hear, despite this great, terrible time of tribulation. Because uh, in the Maskiel of Psalm 88, look how he ends the psalm. Lover and friend, you've put far from me and my acquaintance into darkness. And I'm just on my own, heading into the grave. And that's how this psalm ends, kind of on a a heavy note. And Psalm 89 will be uh, similar. But in context now, if we kind of apply Micah 7 to this, Micah knows, keep looking to God and wait for the God of, of, of our salvation. And even though we may be required to go into the grave, we know that that's not the end of the story. That the same power that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead that same power can raise us from the dead. So these are the uh, ancient words of the Psalms. Um, We're coming up to the end of Book 3. God willing, we will cover that next week with Psalm 89. But all of these Psalms, as we put them together, uh, they give us a deeper understanding of the plan of God, the counsel of God, the will of God, and ultimately our role. Once we understand what's happening on the earth, we can then assume our rightful place in the story and the plan of God. Well, what a great God we serve. Uh, There is a purpose to all of this. We are heading into a very difficult time. Uh, Let's be praying for each other, brethren. Let's do all we can to be studying and show ourselves a workman uh, who need not be ashamed because we actually are rightly dividing the word of truth. And we love the truth and we understand the truth and we stand for Jesus Christ. This is really a time to stand up for Christ. So we cannot do that if we don't understand his word and if we're confused like everybody else about what's happening in the world around us. So let's keep studying. Let's keep praying. Let's keep encouraging one another. Jesus Christ is Lord.